Hello, and welcome to the Council Culture Podcast, a podcast where we look through the lens of counselling in today's culture to help and equip you to live life to the full wherever you are. believe that everyone should have access to and benefit from the core skills of counselling that help you do life well. Leading ourselves in relationships, mental and emotional health, work and navigating life in these really fast changing times. My name is Nicholas Marks and it is my pleasure to host Council Culture. Well friends, welcome to Welcome back to the Council Culture Podcast in this Under Pressure series. Today, we have a, a wonderful guest, uh, a friend, a pastor, theologian, a good guy, and uh, that's Reverend Dr. Graham Hill. Uh, Graham, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's lovely to be here with you today. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, I know that our listeners would love to hear a little bit about you before we get into this, um, well, it's a deep and a wide topic of faith and faith under pressure as we land the plane, as we say, on this one. Um, what, what can people know about you? Yeah, so I'm currently in theological education, so I'm the principal of a college okay. um, that's part of the – so Stirling College, which is part of the University of Divinity. But I really see myself primarily as a, as a pastor. And before going to theological education, I spent – um, over 20 years in pastoral ministry of various forms, from church planting to um, youth ministry and then to general pastoral ministry. So right at the heart of my role is, is caring for people in a pastoral capacity. And mm-hmm. that's probably the way that I go about exercising my role as a college principal as well in relationship to students and to churches and to society, to um, my staff. I have uh, three daughters, uh-huh. and I'm married to Felicity. My three daughters are um, Madison, Grace, and Dakota. Um, the youngest is 16, but the others are adults now. And, in fact, in January, we've got a, a wedding coming up. Uh-huh. One of my daughters, Grace, is getting married in January. So big changes ahead for the Hill family. That's a significant milestone. Yeah, really exciting. And and the um, boy that Grace is marrying is just beautiful boy. He's uh, sort of the son I always wanted. And I, I you know, I, I always wanted a, a boy that was just like him. So it's lovely <laughs> to get him at um, years of age. Yeah, yeah. Fully formed. I hope he gets to listen to this. As he's, get, he's getting a rap from his uh, future father-in-law. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I should say, we wanted to talk to you in this this podcast as Faith Under Pressure. You're a, a man who knows and loves God and I think has a unique insight and understanding of the Christian faith, which is what we're focusing on, and and where where, we've, where people are at at the moment. I think you've got your um, – no one has all the answers except the Lord himself, but mm-hmm. you've got your finger on the pulse and you, you interact and engage with a wide variety of people in multiple settings um, in Australia and around the world. So it'll be – we're looking forward to gleaning some of this from you and just uh, having a, uh, a conversation about uh, where we're at in terms of our, our individual faith and, and in the church. So it's a big topic, but we'll try and, as, uh, as we were talking mm. earlier, we'll try and find a few threads here that we can we can explore and just uh, we really want to stimulate some thought and 
uh, discernment and and I think hope in our listeners in this one because it is a big topic and it's an important one. These are perhaps questions and thoughts that a lot of our listeners and people out there have got on their mind and where they're at at the moment with their faith. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's just talk about the the, the past two years. What are, what are some things that come to mind for Graham Hill? In some ways, an experience of loss and grief and yeah. rapid change and trauma. But on the other side, it's also been a period where many Christians have had to think very deeply about how do we contribute to the world, what is really important, and how do we live as people of hope and expectation. So there's two sides to that story, I think. One part of the story is that, you know, as people who live in the world, we share the experience that others have had of rapid change, of loss of certainty, and of grief, as we've seen people around us losing jobs and security and meaning and even loved ones. But then on the other side of the coin, yeah, we've also had to think very deeply about what does it mean to be God's people and how do we discover what true meaning is all the way in which we contribute to the world and what does it mean to live as people of hope and expectation to be people not only of the crucifixion but also of the resurrection during a time of loss and grief so there's that opportunity of uh, the the deeper and the more real anchors and and truths of our faith to be explored and experienced when things yeah. are, when things are really hard yes and i've noticed that with a lot of and for many of them leading up to this pandemic, much of their lives were about career and accumulating wealth. And, you know, in Sydney, I think it, it, like other cities, there's an obsession with property. <laughs> uh, so this sort of materialism is very deep in the Australian society. But what I have noticed is a reevaluation in people's hearts and minds are thinking about what really is important. How do I make a difference in the world with so much need? So I have seen a real evaluation going on. And what does it actually mean to truly be the church and to be a community? You know, for many of us, we haven't been able to go to physical church for a long time. And that's caused some people to walk away and others to say, no, what does it mean to really be God's people together in a hurting world? Yeah. I want to come back to some things you just said there because there's, there's some big things there. Do you think we've grieved and the, the, the areas of grief or the areas of loss over the past two years, mm-hmm. as as a people of God, have we, I'm, I'm talking collectively here um, and in your observations, have we lamented well? I don't that? think so. I don't think Australians, um, Western people in general, are very good at pausing and growing well or lamenting well. Yeah. And I think actually the people of God also are not particularly good at it. Um, there's a long tradition of lament within Christianity, and we see that in the, the Book of Lamentations. We also see it in the Psalms. We see it in some of the stories um, in the Old Testament. And the people of God have a long tradition of stopping, reflecting, repenting, lamenting the past and also the way in which they have been evils and the ills of society. Yeah. Um, and then seeking to change. So I would say that we've got a long way to go as Christians in Western society and in Australia at uh, lamenting well, grieving in a way our own mistakes um, or grieving just change and loss in a way that is transformative and healing. Yeah, yeah. 
Is is there are there some are there some processes or, or, or ways and that that people now can? Um, it, it seems that it would need to be together with others. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although there's times of individual and if you like solo reflection and lament and and, and journeying with God on things and in in community and together, is that something that we can we can be intentional about doing? Because we can yes, identify definitely. we don't do it um, well, but, but how could we do it? Yeah, so one of the, th- the things that I like to do with small groups is to sit and to write communal laments. I often call them table laments, and by that I mean that we sit around a meal because there's something beautiful about sharing a meal together and the kind of communion of hearts that happens around food. Um, it's interesting yeah. when when you read the Gospels, Jesus spends so much time eating, <laughs> which is good news. I think I, I love food. We like that. We like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's something special about being together, and Jesus does a lot of it actually. And you know, and even the Pharisees get shocked. They say, "Look at the people that he eats with," because <laughs> there's something about eating. Well, I've got this thing that I do with groups called a table lament, where we sit around a meal. Some of the key aspects of lament in the Bible, and we write a shared lament. And laments usually follow a particular pattern. They're about acknowledging sort of a pain and loss, even our own mistakes or complicity in mistakes in society, Um, acknowledging the ways in which those things need to change, asking God to change our hearts and committing together to repentance, and to new life together and in the world. And writing laments, in a book that I wrote with Grace Jisung Kim called Healing Our Broken Humanity, I've developed a whole chapter on how do you write a writer lament together around a, as a Christian, as a small group. And I also provide some examples in that book of some laments that, that I have written. And so, you know, I encourage you to have a look at them. Yeah, they're very good. Um, we'll make that... Uh, that um available to our listeners in the uh, the notes of the podcast as well, Graham. Yeah, that'd yeah. be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm. Um, thank you for that. I just wanted to drill into that a little bit because it's that there's a, there's actually things to do in lamenting, isn't it? It's not just I'm feeling low or I, I'm just I'm sad. There, there is yes. there are some things that you, you can do in that, isn't it? It's both. Yeah, the, yeah, definitely. And um, Emmanuel Katongali, who was a survivor of the Rwandan genocide, uh, in fact, um, you know, was exposed to a of that genocide, where the Hutus and the Tutsis, who were notionally Christians, many of them before they yes. massacred each other, talks about the fact that reconciliation and healing and new life require a period of grief and lament. You know, we often too quickly move to solutions and to celebration as, as Christians without focusing on the way in which grief and lament and repentance are the foundation often for new life. So Emmanuel Katongli says, when you look at the, the the healing of the Rwandan church, which has been a wonderful success, success story where nice. former enemies who yeah. once were involved in a genocide have now become friends and are serving together across Africa. He says that that healing and renewal and new life could not have happened without significant lament. So it's a very interesting. So he says lament is critical to reconciliation and to new life. Yeah. Which I think is a profound insight. It is, isn't it? And there's in that we've been talking a bit about transition in the, the last in in a number of podcasts. And I think in that transition where there's always endings, a messy middle, mm. and new beginnings. And I 
I think the lament and how we grieve our losses becomes important to marking those endings well, getting through the messy middle, the wilderness experience, and into yeah. what that new season is. Is Would you go f- as far as to say that if we don't lament well, we we, I don't know, we, we diminish or put at risk or, or, or have an effect on that new season that we move into? Yeah, I think that's true. Um, and one of the roles that those of us that are in some form of Christian ministry or leadership, one of the roles we play is is helping people understand what God is doing in that sort of messy middle, in that desert experience. Yeah. I think COVID has been a bit of a desert experience. You know, we we out of Egypt, if you like, and <laughs> so we've been in the desert. So um, we can kind of sense the promised land is coming, but yeah. it's it's easy for us to rush out of the desert into the promised land. But we've got to remember that it's in the desert, the people of Israel in the desert. It's in the desert that we discover a deep sense of our identity, a deep sense of God's presence with us in our pain and loss, a new sense of who we are called to be in the world. We, we get challenged that we thought we'd left Egypt or the, the, the values of society, but we actually took Egypt with us into the desert and worse, we probably were Egypt in our hearts. And God is saying, let all of that go in the middle of the desert experience me afresh and learn to be my people as you move into a new, positive, exciting era. One of the roles for those of us that are Christian leaders is that when people are in the desert experience, they often feel like they are nowhere, that they've lost their identity, they've lost their direction, they've lost their hope. They don't know, they they kind of have a sense there's a problem, but they don't know how to see it well. They feel like they are nowhere. William Bridges says the role of Christian leadership, for those of us who are in that role, is to say we are not nowhere, we are now here. And he says the role is to say this isn't a nowhere experience, this is a now here experience, a time of change and renewal and fresh identity and a a discovery of who we are. God is preparing us for the next stage in our lives. Yeah. So the the messy middle becomes a a key part of actually – our and relating this to the here and now and coming out of the pandemic of of our transformation in transition for the next season. Yes, exactly. And we mm. want to get off the operating table pretty quickly, don't we? Even yeah, that's even, right. Even when we're yeah. not, when the uh, the surgeon might not be finished. Yes, and I, I think um, I think I can say this that I think women are a little bit better at men at sitting with that messy middle, that the grief and the loss of the of that kind of transition period. So I was reading an article yesterday about the way in which, um, um, you know, it's a, these are uh, generalisations and sometimes they can be caricatures, but, but often during a period of grief and change and loss, women will kind of allow themselves to fully experience that pain and will, will cry and, and, and lament and, and, and that actually allows the process of grief and loss and healing to go deep and to take its course. What I notice with a lot of my friends, a lot of a lot of men, it's not true of all men, so I don't want to over this, but a lot of men don't allow themselves to sit enough with the loss and pain and grief and change. And they try to move on too quickly or they try to be, you know, get into action. Yeah. Um, so I would, you know, encourage people, including my my brothers, um, to just not move too quickly, like not move out of this period too quickly. Know that we are a people of hope and change and renewal. There is a promised land, but that messy middle, that desert experience, 
to sit with it, let it do its work. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's good language. Let it do its work. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. Yeah, I, let I, God I, do um, God's work in the middle of that desert experience. Yeah, yeah. What have been some of the good things in the messy middle and the desert experience um, that you've observed? The experience of of change and loss is a an experience of moving from certainty through uncertainty, um, denial, or even potentially blame, certainly anxiety. Um, Sometimes you feel like you're in in limbo and you think, am I always going to in this this period of limbo and anxiety and uncertainty and frustration? But one of the good things about all of that experience is that as we sit with it, as we allow it to do its work, as we invite God's presence to be among us, yeah. as we seek in the following months, without rushing this period, as we seek in the following months together to turn the horizon of God's good news, of God's shalom, of God's hope and change in us, that we can start to change. And so the, the good news in all of this is that we can begin to hope. So hope can emerge. We can remember. So hope is not divorced from memory. Yeah. So, again, what are you observing and seeing where, um, again, we're speaking quite broadly and, and generally here in terms of where uh believers are at people of the of faith Christians cross followers and, mm. and in the church um you mentioned say yeah. you mentioned before about that rushing back because they were hearing you know let's get everything open let's get the shops open let's you know um can the church fall into that and not we, we want to be meeting together um, yeah uh, definitely want to be meeting together that's a that's a wonderful part of an expression of our faith and community um that that but we don't want it just to be that, that, okay, let's let's all get back now and just crack on and um, we'll pick up where we were. It's that things have changed. So, yes, we want to get yeah. back and it's different. How do we express and, and uncover that? that yeah, the, that's, that's the, so the, the true. The bad and the ugly. Yeah. Um, people probably had the same experience of me, and that is that we've gone on to church YouTube um, or to online church, and yes, I'm yes. really keen to be back with people Same. in community. Yes. And I love the way in which so much of, of worship and and um, the communication of God's word and is now able to be experienced by people who are unable to meet physically. So I think there's been a really wonderful side to that. But there's the other side of it. There's something about embodiment, about, you know, to use a maybe a little bit of a, an awkward word, sort of enfleshment, you know, you know, we, we are people of the body, of physicality, and to be back and mesh together with people Presence. in the body with people and community is really important. Yeah, right. um, and as we kind of go back into that experience, we can rush back in there without pausing enough and doing some business about how we view God's people in the church. So I'll give you an example. You know, when you go through personally a, a period of loss and grief and pain, Rather than sort of rushing directly back into life as it was, sometimes it's good just to stand and say, what am I grateful for? What am I thankful for about this period and about what this relationship meant to me? 
So, you know, if you lose someone that you really love or even if it's just for a period of time, not permanently, what am I grateful for? Um, and how do I pray for that person? And I think the same thing is true of the church, just pausing for a moment and asking that and asking, do I really love people? And not and, and how do I reframe my love for God's people as an expression of my love for, for Jesus um, himself? What does it mean for me to be open-eyed about the weaknesses and the difficult challenges of the church, the sins of the church, but also to be willing to suffer the ch- for the church, to serve the church, to strenuously contend for the church, to guard the church and to delight for in the church as God's people. So challenging the church where it's made mistakes, not being not not acting like the church is perfect, but also serving loving, defending, striving for, suffering for, guarding and committing to God's people, delighting in God's people is the way that the Apostle Paul would say it. Yeah. What In that, Graham, what are some of the things that, um, let's talk about the church, some of the yeah. things that the church can perhaps leave behind and take with it now into the new season? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good, um, really good question. It's such an important question too. So one of the things is that there is a sense that Bible-believing Christians have become fearful, moralistic, politicised, and, and maybe have contributed to the conflicts and the antagonism in the world. And so... My sense is that during COVID, where the world is really hurting, that those of us that are committed to being Bible-believing Christians need to stop for a moment, take a deep breath and ask whether that contribution to conflict and division and fear, whether being moralistic and political helps the witness of the church, or whether God is calling us not to be that kind of believer, but rather to embrace a full gospel that helps us be a healing, reconciling, just presence in the world. But that would be one of the things I think that yeah, that's really good. is happening for, for many of us as believers today. Does it have to happen in the church first before the church expresses that in an outward fashion? Oh, that is so true. That's such a really good insight. Um, because we often fail to look around and see the way that the injustices in society in our churches, that the people that are silenced, it might be um, women, it might be minoritized groups, yeah. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, it might be the disabled or the elderly, yeah. the people have been ignored or silenced in society are often treated the same way in the church. You know, Paul is constantly reminding God's people in the New Testament, you've got to be different. What he's worried about often is that the very things that are unjust or ungodly in society are manifesting themselves in the church. So, you know, he says to the Christians, my concern is that when you have these table fellowships that society are sitting at the head of the table and that the people of of low rank, the people that are ignored or treated unjustly um, or despised are treated the same way in your your, um, gathering. And Paul says to them, be different. When you look at church history, 
what you do see is that the people, the story of the people of God is a story of suffering. I think there's a there's a problem in the modern church, and particularly in the West where we've been wealthy and we've had modern medicine and all the conveniences. And, and sometimes we've been a little bit tied to the materialism and the success of, of our societies. We sometimes fail to see that the story of God's people, both in the early church and historically, is a story of suffering. And if God's people throughout the epoch, the eras, has, have been a people of suffering, then what would make us think that we should be any different? Mm. You know, and Paul says this to the early church, doesn't he? He says that, you know, your suffering produces hope. Mm. Your trials develop character. In the midst of all in and loss, you have great expectation. Um, and I would say that when we look at the story of the early church, when we look at the story of God's people throughout history, when we look at the majority of the church today and we see that it's a story of why would we think that we're going to be any different in the West? But also we can learn from that story and see that in the midst of all of that, we can truly express discipleship. And we can point to another way, a way of hope instead of suffering. Yeah. And we've been through something like that, haven't we? So we don't want to we don't want to waste hmm. it. We don't want to waste it. So if we take that forward now into our future, what is from that basis, that important basis and, and foundation, what are those what are those things you would say to listeners out there with their believers or people who um, who you know have, have a, a looser connection or are sympathetic to the Christian faith or just are growing in their relationship to God? What are some things that we can take into this season ourselves that are of and in the church that are of there's things to be hopeful for, isn't there? There always yeah, is. Yeah, definitely. Like, really hopeful. Yeah, there, there really is. Um, one thing is that we, we need to start to look at the presence, for the presence of God around us. Where is God moving in society and in our neighbourhoods? Mm. What The experience of COVID for me was the experience of being local. So when you know we, when we couldn't go beyond five kilometres, that meant I had to get to know my neighbourhood a lot more. Um, taking the dog every morning down the dog park, walking around the neighbourhood, getting to know the local people at the shops, that forcing me to be more local also made me think about how do I see God's presence in my neighbourhood? Where is there? Look, and I don't want to be you know this there's 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 violence and there's loss and there's injustice and you know there's sin so i don't want to be too pink about this yeah but there's also love and joy and relationships and to say how do i be local how do i see god in my neighborhood how do i relate to my neighbors and get to know them so that's one of the things i've tried to do you know i've got chickens and um, (laughs) we get we get um about six eggs and we only eat probably one egg a day. And so what I do is I just gather, I, I collect eggs and I, I go around the neighbourhood giving giving um, uh, cartons of eggs to all my neighbours. And it's just, a, it's a little thing, yeah, but, but it's meant I've got to know all the neighbours up my cul-de-sac. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the upsides of this, uh, Nick, and I, I probably am enjoying this a little bit too much, is that when you give, you receive. So I, I give cartons of eggs and I get, I, I, I have found a, eggs into cake 
you know. So you've got the so, old bartering system going alive and well. No, <laughs> so it's wonderful. Like it I good. give eggs, and I don't really like eggs that much. And then I get a knock on the door the next day, and there's somebody awake, or and uh, and I think, wow, yeah. talk about turning water into wine. I'm to turning eggs into all my favourite foods. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, just yeah. getting to know the neighbours has been a really critical time. Um, so that's one of the learnings for me. Yeah, that's one of thanks for sharing that, Graham. Any any final thoughts you want to leave with our listeners? Uh, in today's discussion, anything? On the table? I think. Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that I'm learning to do is combine spirit and justice. And what I mean by that is that spirit, word I'm trying justice, to ask sorry. myself every day the, the simple question, where is the Holy Spirit leading me? Who is the Holy Spirit leading me to speak to and to love? How is God revealing himself in the word to me today? And how can I be a person who expresses justice? So my grandfather was a, um, was a missionary to the um, early colony. Yeah. I probably shouldn't say early colony, but, colony, but um, he died when I was, I was probably about um, seven or eight. But I have this vivid memory. I was staying at my great-grandfather's house, and he had a, a wonderful ministry amongst um, alcoholics and drug addicts and prostitutes and homeless people and the most broken people of Sydney. And we often used to stay at his house. And I remember one day I was only, I heard this weeping and um, I walked downstairs and there was my grandfather um, before an open Bible, weeping over the Bible early in the morning. And, and he was a great, to me, he was a great symbol of someone who combined love for Jesus, a love for scripture and openness to the spirit and a heart for justice in the world. He combined it really well. And he looked up at me, tears streaming down his face, and he looked into my eyes and he said, Graham, every day I go into God's word, God speaks to me afresh. I find something new in God's word. Don't ever lose your passion for Jesus. Don't ever lose your passion for God's word. That was the first thing he said to me. And then the second thing he said to me is, Graham, every day Ask God to lead you to one person, just one person that you can love, one person that you can share hope with, one person that you can make a difference in there, that one person every day. And those are the two things he left with me. And I was only seven or eight. You know, that's 45 years ago for me now. But that, that conversation has never left me. And, you know, I would why. say, you know, I say to members of my children, two things. Number one, never lose your love for Jesus. Never stop pressing in to God's word and, and ask God every day, who is one person that I can share God's love with today? I think that is a good word uh, and two key things to leave with people. Yeah, thank you, Nick. Thanks for sharing that story that. too. Hmm. That, would have been a very, that would have been probably a very special and even more special as you've gotten older and realised what he really meant and said by it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and... And the difference that's made in my life, yeah. and um, and just remembering that it's often not the grand things that make a difference; it's the little acts of kindness and love. It's going gently in the world, and just being present with people. Yeah, yeah, on a on a day to day basis. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Graham Hill, thank you so much for today. Uh, it's been a, a pleasure. Uh, it's been a rich conversation, and I'm. I have no doubts it's going to be a blessing to those who take the time to uh, to lend an ear to today's conversation and 
and to particularly hear from you and, and uh, your love for God, uh, your thoughts and insights into what's going on now and in our culture and in the church, it's, it's, it's been really good. So thank you. And uh, thanks for sharing yourself, your story, and, and uh, again, your love for God today. We really value it. Thank you, Graham. Thank you, Nick. It's been, it's been a great pleasure, and um, I'm really thrilled that I was invited to be a part of the podcast. Yes, I, I, I dare say we'll have you back on down the track. If you know people who, like you, are passionate about growing and learning and transformation, why don't you share this episode with them and also hit the subscribe button and give us a review. It all helps to spread the word. We really want your input to this podcast, so visit us at councilculture.org.au where you can send in your questions or recordings on a variety of topics, which we'll use to explore in future episodes. Thanks again, and remember, together we can impact our culture through good counsel. See you next time.